You're listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Syntax. This is the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Today, we are going to be talking about building games with JavaScript, specifically building actual Steam games, not like a silly snake or something like that, but actual shipped games with React. We have Drew Conley on, who is a game developer, React developer. We'll, we'll talk to him in just a second on to the show today. Super excited to have him on. And with me, my name is Wes Boss. I realize I forget to say who I am when I'm introducing. My name is Wes <laughs> Boss. I'm a dev from Canada. You got to like take it like it's everyone's first episode every single time. Yeah, that's the funny thing is like now that we have like 176 episodes, sometimes people ask me like questions. I'm like, don't you listen to every single episode? I'm like, oh, yeah, no, nobody has like eight days to just listen to the straight. It's just funny. But with me, Mr. Talinsky, Scott Talinsky, how are you doing today, Scott? Doing good. Finally caffeinated. So uh, we mentioned in the earlier episode that we recorded and not getting a whole lot of sleep, obviously, at this point in our lives. But I'm ready to go. You know, I'm uh, I'm. Uh, I'm stepping it up. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Good. I'm finally back from my paternity leave slash long vacation in the summer. And I'm back at my huge monitor and it feels so good to be back in my my regular spot. Yeah. Something about that like comfort of your workspace or whatever just pulls you back into work a little bit more. It feels good. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. I want to like immediately off the bat plug Drew's game. It's called Danger Crew and you can grab it on Steam and it is super fun. Um, I'll let him tell you what it is. But uh, welcome, Drew. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So do you really quick before we get into it, do you want to just give us a little bit of high level overview about, I mean, not the technical aspects, but just the the game itself. And then we'll get into the tech stuff as we as we go. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it kind of started as uh, some friends and I worked together in an office building um, in this really pretty area of St. Louis, Missouri called Clayton. And mm. we were like at lunch one day or walking to lunch one day. And it was one of those like picture perfect fall days where uh, the weather was perfect. And the part of town has like these really nice buildings. And um, it, it just felt very inspirational, kind of like you were walking through a movie set or something. Mm-hmm. And my friend Henry was like, you know what? We should make a game about this where you're like, you're a developer <laughs> and you walk to lunch to Chipotle and then you like walk to the <laughs> office and you like, and yeah, you, you know, you could get on your laptop and like you battle other programmers and stuff. And yeah. And so we kind of just like kept piling ideas on and, and we're like, I, I just felt so in love with this idea. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to pull this off. And at the time I didn't know anything about how games were made like I didn't know anything about unity or wow. C++ or anything like that so I was like you know what let's just start today with what we know which for us we were a bunch of front-end developers so we chose just HTML CSS and JavaScript uh, specifically react because I was doing a lot of react at the time and I just felt very fluid in it you know nice and fast and productive and I was like you know if if the technology gets in our way we'll we'll shift but for now we'll just do that and see how far we get and we just never had to we never had to switch oh cool yeah, and so wow. finally the game came out earlier this summer and it's, it's, it was just a really cool experience to work on. You know what's amazing about the game? I think the, the thing that you're going to notice immediately if you go to the Steam page or just any any way of seeing the game is that the first thing you're going to think is this is built in React? Like, it's it when I think of a video game built in React, I certainly don't think of what you've managed to put together. And uh, I mean, and I say that in the best possible way because this thing is very impressive on all accounts. So I, I'm sure we'll both have a ton of questions to ask you about how you how you managed to put this thing together. Wes, do you have anything before we get into into those aspects? Yeah, I just I just think this is so cool because naturally developers, I think people think there's like this hundred percent overlap on people that that play games. And I all the time I get people coming to me, even like the summer I was hanging out with my nephew and his parents were saying like, yeah, we want to teach him to code. And like, could you teach him how to build a game? And I was just like, uh, <laughs> I could I could teach him how to like build like a drag and drop a WYSIWYG and like an app. And I was like, but like those who don't know about me, it's like I never, ever play games. I had to download Steam this morning to even just play this game. I've oh, never wow. done it before. Um, and I've just never had that connection with games. And it's always sort of been like this empty spot because I think gaming is such a a cool way to introduce people to programming, get them excited about actually making things. 
Man, I we, that's a contrast for me because I have I'm one of those people that has more Steam games than they could ever possibly play. Like because you go through the hum, humble bundles or in the sales and you have all this optimistic idea of all these stuff. Maybe you get like four or five games at a time for one of these bundles. And man, my Steam my Steam to do list is much longer than my capacity to play games. So yeah, that, that's a common problem. <laughs> yeah, it is a common problem. Uh, so we're on different ends of the spectrum here. So this should be pretty good. Yeah. So let's get into the the game itself. You said that you didn't have any knowledge, so you have like no background in game development before, or is it just something that has interested you? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, let's let's just do it. Yeah. Um. To, to be honest, as a kid, when I was like in middle school, I, I tinkered with this program called Game Maker. Oh yeah. Which it's still. <laughs> I mean, today Game Maker is a familiar, huge yeah. thing. Very valid. Uh, tons of really large games are made with Game Maker. Um. But this was back in like the early 2000s and it was a very small thing uh, back then. And so, um, yeah, Game Maker comes with this little programming, programming language called GML, Game Maker mm. language. And uh, that was kind of my like first gentle introduction into programming. But then life happened and I like got got away from programming or, uh, you know, did some growing up or whatever. And then when I got back <laughs> into it, uh, basically after college, I saw uh, I, I was starting to get into web development and I saw the syntax of JavaScript. I was like, oh, I've seen this before. This is just oh. like Game Maker. And so that was kind of a fun way for me to get back into programming and get excited about it again. Wow. Uh, but I was making little like Mega Man clone. Like I grew up loving Mega Man. So I'd make like these yeah. awful little Mega Man <laughs> fan games and Game Maker um, ripping, you know, uh, art from other games and stuff. So I, I was very casual, you could say. Yeah, I think one of the games that I had played that was made in Game Maker was uh, obviously is a very popular game. Hotline Miami was probably maybe the most popular game made in game maker as far as i know but it is really impressive what you you can create with that so why not head back to to game maker for this uh again i think it was at the time i was just so excited about the idea and i i haven't touched game maker in like a really 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 long time Uh, (laughs) and so uh, it was one of those things where i didn't want those like the the friction of having to learn a new thing to get in the way of of gotcha. putting out the idea that I wanted to put out. And so, and again, I was very open to like, we might need to switch or something, but there was also kind of this exciting concept of building a game that you could just load up on a web page and play. Isn't it interesting how sometimes like the, the tech choices, like choosing to use web tech as a challenge, these can, things can act as sort of like a, a motivation to work on the project even more. Cause it's like, yeah, sure. I want to make a game, but uh, the challenge of building a game in these sorts of, ways or these sorts of ideas can really like drive those motivation factors and working on it. Right. I was trying to kind of find like, okay, what differentiates this from any other game? And it's kind of cool because there's opportunities that, I mean, what we're talking about is really just a web page, right? So you, Mm -hmm. you can have the desktop game and then if if it's responsive, right? Because it's like web code. So then it could gracefully, you could play it on your phone too. Uh, And there's just a lot of opportunity there that I wasn't and like I grew up playing games, but I wouldn't say that I'm 100% up to speed on all the latest stuff going on in games. And I know that there's a lot of like multi-platform things out there today and all of that. Um, but it, yeah, at the time, uh, it felt like this really new, exciting way to use the stuff that I already knew, which was, you know, web. Cool. Huh. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get into talking about like the publishing aspect and wrapping it all up at the little bit further along. Uh, but I'm still interested in this, like, so you started building it in React. And what were some of the first initial resources that you went to to figure out how to even approach building a game in React? I'm curious about that. Because, like, if, if I were to, like, whip up, create React app and start to make a game, like, <laughs> like what do you what do you do? Like, I get you have state. Maybe you put some points in state or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, so, first of all, the game is just create React app. That's oh, it. no way. Nice. Yeah, there, there's no uh, fancy configuration or ejecting or anything like that. It's just wow. out of the box, create React app. No ejecting oh, wow. either. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think the most important thing to understand is that under the hood, you approach it just like you approach any other web project. Um, the kind of key difference is a bunch of visual like tricks to make it look and feel like a game rather than um, a web page, right? So wow. it's a lot of like moving elements around and uh, doing things with the camera. Cam- camera is like a pinkies up way to say it's like cropped divs that are moving around. <laughs> pinkies up. <laughs> yeah, and then from there, you know, it's just a lot of artwork and um, SVGs and a little bit of canvas here and there. But it's it's really nothing that's not approachable for someone that's done at least a little bit of web development work. So wow. you're not using like like a framework or a Unity or anything no, under the hood. No, and and. Uh, 
that stuff is perfectly valid and awesome. Uh, there are great libraries out there like Phaser that kind of give you a lot of mm-hmm. resources for um, putting graphics on the screen and, and physics and moving them around. But our game, if, if you look at it, it's very simple where it's basically just characters moving around a grid and then kind of transitioning in and out to different scenes. But there is nothing in it that really warranted like anything super heavy. It's really just a lot of thing, a lot of simple pieces put together that kind of that net effect is this thing that looks like one of those classic RPG games. So how much of it is canvas? Because when I looked at it, the first thing I thought of was the whole thing is canvas. No, is- no, it's very okay. little. So uh, any any character you see on the screen is their own individual little canvas. And the only reason I use that is because canvas comes with um, this cool CSS property you can use. Um, I have it written down right here. Um, uh, This is a trick I just like recently discovered. Um, But yeah, it's image rendering pixelated. And what that allows you to do is is basically provide an asset that's designed very small at its natural pixel Mm -hmm. size and then upscale it without Mm -hmm. losing any quality because the Mm -hmm. nature of pixel art is like these perfectly even little squares of color. Um, You can upscale it as long as you're doing it evenly, right? So that squares are always like evenly multiplying. That answers such a big question of mine about how you get it to do that. Because I know you create these pixel art in the size of the the pixel. So you're just outputting that to a canvas and scaling it up. Right. That's super cool. Right. Yeah. The game has um, this. Anytime you resize the window, there's this little calculation that happens on like how much real estate do I have and how mm-hmm. much of this can I fit in. And that's why if you kind of open the game and start resizing the window, you'll see the art snap proportionally. But yeah. And it's funny because for the longest time, I had to find that trick because for the longest time we were using SVGs for all the art to kind of have that same benefit of needing, mm-hmm. you know, nice fluid resizing assets. But as the artwork evolved, it got way more detailed. And then the file sizes of these SVGs started getting huge. Uh, uh-huh. And I was like, this this probably could work, but it's not the most sustainable thing. So that's when the canvas, I discovered the canvas trick. You can also use that for an image tag, but I didn't know that until uh, after, <laughs> way, way after. <laughs> One kind of cool thing I'll I'll just say as an aside I found with that that little canvas trick is that if you want to get the dominant colors of an image is you can write an image to a canvas very small and then use that pixelating thing and it will give you a grid of like nine pixels um, and then you can just loop over nine pixels and, and find out which colors they are. No, oh, that's interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. You could totally generate like color palettes and stuff from that. That's so yeah. so cool. <laughs> I was using like a I was using like a library to like to snoop colors and and do all this like equations. And someone's like, you can just write this to canvas and at nine pixels by nine pixels wide and and get, or two pixels by two pixels wide, I'll give you four. uh, And it will give you the four most dominant colors without any libraries at all. That's so cool. I've always wondered how that's done. It seems so magical. Like some, you need some heavy process or something. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Are you using like anything like like Redux or any other JavaScript libraries? Yeah, there's a very light light usage of Redux, um, basically just to glue some of the pieces together. Uh, so the game, for context, uh, it, most of it is this flow from moving from like the scene where you're walking around the world and talking to people into these little turn-based battle sequences. Mm-hmm. And those are like kind of two different distinct scenes that happen. And so Redux helps uh, in like providing a place to store some state that needs to persist between those. And again, like this project, uh, it took like we started it in early 2015 when the landscape of of things around React was very different. Um, and mm-hmm. so I don't, if I was starting it today, I don't know if you'd really need Redux. But uh, again, it's one of those things I just felt comfortable with and really enjoyed how it worked. And so I just kind of stuck with that. It's probably great to have that structure, too, when you're dealing with any of this. So one of the things that, I mean, the graphics for me are, are such a big interest point. Like, I'm so curious about how you did so many of these things. So the each individual person is a canvas. But so let's say the environments, especially you have like repeating floors and things like that. I'm really interested in how you laid out the environments. And I'm sure a lot of it is CSS and HTML, right? Uh, now that I've heard a little bit more, but I'm really curious about how you got some of these repeating patterns in here to look so good. Not only that, but like with some of the variability, let's say you have like, it's like a grid of outside tiles. Every, every once in a while, there's going to be like a flower on one of the tiles or something like that. I'm very curious about not only how you created the grid, but how you created some of those interesting variations. Right. I I wish I had a better answer for you, but the honest truth is that a lot of that stuff is create created, um, outside in an art program, like 
you can use cool. whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, I've been using this uh, pixel art program called A Sprite, which is really lightweight and it's designed for pixel art. Huh. The letter A, like A. Yeah, it's like A E Sprite. Uh, oh, I can send you guys a link um, if you want, cool. want a link to it. It's, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite pieces of software. I think it's like 15 bucks, 100% worth it if you want to even just experiment with pixel art. And you're absolutely right. On the side, we have this like Dropbox folder of all of our tile sets. And, and we use that to construct actual like baked PNGs of each individual map um, out, outside of the game. And then we just import it into the game. We also made this little... Um, editor like a separate app that acts as an editor for the game that basically pipes any piece of content as json into the game Uh, and so each if you notice like if you move from a map to a different map that's like moving to a different node in the json tree of what what's happening in this area what asset do we use how big is it when you talk to someone what do they say all of that data is kind of structured that way Uh, but yeah the, the as far as the graphics side it was pretty manual and that that's that's not because it had to be. It was just kind of a way that I, I had this one devastating moment where we did try to work with pure tile sets where you'd, you'd place like individual tiles and it would dynamically render kind of like what we were talking about before. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and the tiling program that we were using corrupted all of our files and we oh, lost. Great. <laughs> yeah. And um, I wasn't smart enough to like version control them. I had them in like Dropbox and I, I could have. I could have done some reverse engineering to fix it, but it was kind of like, you know what? We're going to keep this real simple and just make individual wow. assets for the the maps. Wow. So what about like uh, the text? Is the text actual text and you just used excellent fonts that uh, totally mimic that art style or is the, the text also rendered? How does that work? Uh, yeah. So the text is all SVG where each each character kind of has its own SVG paths in it. Um, and in that you can kind of get in there and play with them and recolor them. But yeah, there, uh, one of the things with pixel art is that it's really important that every single pixel on the screen matches the pixel ratio. And yeah, so if you have a one right. pixel thing, like in a character, like say you're making a T, the character T, you know, the little top of the T needs to be one pixel that needs to exactly match like the one pixel of a character's eye. Yeah. Otherwise, you get this weird, like inconsistent kind of effect. It just doesn't feel right because it doesn't match, you know, like how that the, the overall games. grid. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, and so to do that, um, we basically used SVGs that match, again, similar calculation, like how big is the pixel size right now? We'll use that to size the characters. Wow. And then under the hood, we have some like text baked into the the DOM for readers and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, okay, so even within SVG, it's just these are all paths. Each letter is its own path. Yeah, yep. If, if you get in there and inspect the game, um, you'll just see like a bunch of SVGs for each character on there. And then also there's kind of this like typewriter effect where if I'm saying hello, um, you'll yeah. see the, the, you know, the text go H-E-L-L-O, kind of reveal one at a time. That's just SVGs like, you know, CSS visibility popping in and mm. out. Um, so pretty simple stuff. But it, it, when you put it all together, it feels, you know, like a game. That's amazing. I mean, what you have is even though they're simple solutions, they're like really smart solutions to all of this stuff. Were those are those SVGs? Were those all created with this a sprite as well, or is that? Yeah, yeah. So um, a sprite basically the workflow for art was created in a sprite, and then at the time of this recording, a sprite doesn't really have any SVG export support, uh, mm-hmm. and so I would export it as a PNG, and then. Um, pipe it into Daniel Shaw made this amazing code pen that I have bookmarked. I use it almost every day and you basically can drag a PNG into it. I'll, I'll send you guys this link too. you drag a PNG into it. And then using similar magic, it will give you out um, SVG of what you just dropped in. Uh, so wow. for pixel art, I basically wow. took every character and dropped it into um, this tool that he made and then copied the, the SVG paths into the react code in kind of like a reusable if you imagine like a reusable icon system kind of thing in React, it's it's basically that, but they're letters. Wow, man. This is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. I'm so glad we had you on today. Have you, Weston, <laughs> have you ever noticed how like we have an uneven amount of people from Denver on this show? I think it's because Denver are people Denver? are. Uh, yeah, I live in Denver right now. I Yeah, I guess I didn't say that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm, I don't people people aren't really from Denver, West. It's a very transient city. No, people just go to Denver. <laughs> yeah. So my wife and I moved here um, uh, a year and a half ago, I guess, from St. Louis, Missouri. We just we kind of like grew up in St. Louis, spent our whole lives in St. Louis, had never left St. Louis. And we're like, you know, we, it's time for a change. We're going to we're going to move somewhere. And um, just from traveling around and, and 
exploring different cities. We visited, my brother happened to live here in Denver too. And so we were visiting him and we were like, man, Denver is awesome. Because I had never come here as a kid, like for vacations and stuff, we'd always go to the beach in Florida yeah. or whatever. Um, so I'd never really been to the mountains, never been to this area. And so we just kind of fell in love with it and decided to move here. Uh, and yeah, that's the thing is like a lot. Of, so a lot of people have a similar story where a lot of people have moved here and uh, people that are what they call like Colorado natives, you know, people yeah, that yeah. were they're, born here. You'll hear about it. Like, I remember it. when it was so quiet and <laughs> now there's all this traffic and stuff. Um, so, yes, I'm I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I'm also part of the problem. We moved here three and a half years ago and from Southeast Michigan. So Midwest to, to Colorado to Denver, it's a very common thing. We've met so many people who are also Midwesterners or anybody who's coming here and just like, oh, I don't want to leave. And now I'm sorry, natives. I'm sorry, every single one of you. Right. Well, that's what's so funny because I think something <laughs> that really drew us here was that people are so welcoming because there are yeah. so many people that, you know, have yes. gone through the same thing. <laughs> And so yeah, totally. it's a very cool place. We're really happy here. I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, where we go with it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back into uh, the game stuff. But really quick before we do, let's take a, a quick break to blast off to one of our sponsors, which is Log Rocket. Uh, <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> I know. That I'm was sorry. actually pretty good. No, blast off to a sponsor is good. I like it. Yeah. Okay. We'll use it. Log Rocket is a longtime sponsor over here at Syntax, and they're going to make solving some of your bugs absolutely painless because a lot of the times what we work in when we're trying to solve bugs is trying to sort of work in an environment that we can't necessarily reproduce exactly. So you're just sort of going off of, you're going off of error logs, you're going off of what your users are saying, you're going off of maybe potentially, uh, you know, a service log or something that somebody had submitted. But what you don't get is any sort of visual understanding of what happened for the user themselves besides what they've told you. Now, LogRocket changes all that because what they do is give you a pixel perfect replay of exactly what the user saw when they did. It even gives you things like your Redux store at any given point in time, your network activity, your console login errors. So you can scrub through this video of what they did, where they clicked, and you can get their network requests, console logs, and errors right there in front of you. It works with all the platforms you know and love, from any front-end framework you could possibly imagine to some of our other sponsors like Sentry uh, that uh, categorize and log your bugs. So you're going to check out LogRocket at LogRocket.com forward slash syntax. Sign up today and get 14 days for free. Check it out. All right. Let's keep rolling with this. Um, you, you talked about how you've made the sort of the the PNGs and the SVGs and, and whatnot, but the actual like animation, moving someone from one place to another, or maybe we should explain a little bit like the the whole premise of the game is that you're a developer and you walk to the coffee shop, like you said, and you walk around the thing and you have these little battles and there's a lot of animation as part of walking and, and doing the battles and whatnot. Like, how is that all done? Is that CSS or are you using a library? Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, it's all um, CSS sprite sheets. And so when you see a character on the screen, um, you're actually seeing one of 16 frames of that character. Again, a lot of fancy div, cra- fancy, right? Just cropping divs uh, where you see basically each, each character is like a parent div um, with an underlying sprite sheet. And then as you are moving around, um, we're utilizing uh, CSS has this easing function called steps. And so um, as you're walking, the character is kind of leapfrogging under the hood uh, to show like frame one, frame two, frame three, frame four, one, two, three, four, just like that. And then the really? end result, when you only see one of those frames at a time, looks like they're walking. And so that that does like the the movement of the character itself. But then to actually move the character to a different cell it's just a simple kind of xy change a lot of like css transforms to just smoothly move something to the next space we are using a request animation frame loop to kind of keep everything in sync rather than relying on something like timing Uh, okay yeah and so every like every character on the screen kind of operates in that same loop yeah and yeah so you just you know you as the as the player you hold the right key down the character starts moving to the right hold the left key down um the character moves to the left and then to do that we're also moving the the map behind you uh in the opposite direction and that's kind of what creates that like camera effect where where the frame is centered on the screen but then as you move it kind of feels like you're walking through a world because the the world is moving behind you too Mm. 
And that, that came like, I don't know if we said it, but we started this game in 2015. So it's been three and a half years. Well, more now. Wow. But by the time it came out, it was like three and a half years of constantly iterating on ways to do this. There's a million ways to do it. It's I, I don't want to sound like this is the way, um, but just mm-hmm. going through a lot of trial and error and experimentation, like that's kind of the method that we ended up shipping in the final game. It's so impressive. The whole thing is so impressive. I'm, the I'm steps like, thing is nuts. Yeah, that's how Twitter does their little animation when you click the heart. It's through really? the steps thing. Yeah, I didn't just, know about this. Yeah. So you can like transition from one thing to another, but instead of it smoothly, um, yes, doing jumping. smoothly or or a Bezier curve, it just goes. Uh, yeah, and it, it's nice from like the designer's point of view because you can design um, the the animation in like an animation program, and then just export yeah. the end result as a file, and then basically just drop it in. Uh, like in our case, we use React. You obviously, don't have to use React. You can use whatever you want, but we have this nice reusable React component where you drop in the sprite sheet and tell it how many frames are there, and then it will just handle the you know the animation for us. And that's used all over the place. Um, Almost every piece of animation in the game uses that technique. It's pretty simple once you wrap your head around it, uh, but it's really yeah. effective and it looks just like the games that influenced us as kids, like the games we wanted to create one like. And yeah, so that, that's worked really well. So I have a question about performance. Did you ever run into any major performance issues? Uh, were there things that were like really locked you up at any given point and you didn't know how to proceed or wondering if this was the right solution or was it smooth sailing in that regard? Yeah, part of the uh, many years of iteration was kind of constantly discovering as the game grew um, and we were trying to do more and more with it that the performance started to suffer here and there. A lot of that was learning to consolidate loops. Like at one point, every character on the screen had their own loop. And so we did kind of a big refactor to to turn it into, um, you know, just one shared loop that everybody would use. And then like certain optimizations to turn people on and off if they're not visible on the screen so that you're not wasting time. Yeah, like we we saw varied results, right? Like on most of the time, you know, I use like a fairly modern MacBook Pro and performance is good. But then I'd like go over to my parents' house and fire it up on their old like PC laptop. And oh, be like, yeah. oh, gosh, this isn't right. Oh, yeah. Um, and different browsers, too. Would I guess we'll get into this later. But we ended up shipping it on Electron. And so yeah, kind of our okay. browser is Chromium under the hood. But at the time, you know, you can play the web demo in any browser you want and we definitely see, you know, certain browsers would handle it better than others. And I guess that's the beauty about shipping in an electron is you get to control that environment a little bit more than you could just saying here, not to mention you can bundle it along those lines, like user user states and saves are, are, are you saving those just as files or something via electron and the node and electron, or are you doing something specifically? Right, exactly. So Basically, the, the nature of, well, first of all, the nature of React, first of all, is that you, components are hydrated from data somehow, right? So if yeah, we can right. take the the state of where the user is at right now and then lock it away somewhere, and then later you boot up the game again to resume, we just pipe that same data back in and you were right back where you were. Uh, and so that's definitely a, a, a nice thing that, <laughs> that turned out to make the saving and loading thing pretty easy. But yeah, you're exactly right. Under the hood... Uh, the game kind of has an environment variable that knows, am I the web version or am I the electron version? And so when we run the save function um, on the web version, it'll basically just write something to the local storage. So you still have it. Uh, previ- in previous demos of the game, we went through the whole route of having like a, a Firebase server where you'd make an account and log in and then your data would persist that way, which was cool because you could pull it up on different devices and uh, it wasn't you know as fragile as local storage. But we ended up getting away from that just when we decided to pursue Steam and releasing it that way. And yeah, but anyway, um, on the yeah, on, so Electron will save a file to your machine. Electron, if to those who aren't familiar, it, it gives you this nice like instance of Chromium that runs only your code, while it also gives you this little Node.js um, environment, so you can run backendy kind of code in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we just fire off basically like hitting a local API or something like that. Uh, you just fire off a call and then it saves a JSON file to your machine. And then later when you come back and boot up the game, there's a, another one that looks for any existing JSON files and then you, cool. you're back in business. So there's no server side aspect to this at all. Like even like run the analytics stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. 
But like, do you do you ever send data outside? Like, do you keep I know my friend has a game and he keeps track of how many like bullets are sent and like crazy stuff like that you can do with Google Analytics. Yeah. So we're not using Google Analytics specifically, but we do have a little bit of a analytics layer um, that basically just sends message off to one messages off to one of our servers. Um, and it, it it's completely anonymous. It just tells us stuff like which battles are super hard, <laughs> like how far are people getting into the game, where are they uh, playing through to and stopping. Um, we'll see like the breakdown of wins and losses in the battles. And so we'll see like a battle start to go red, 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 red. Like this battle might be too hard because X percent of people are rage quitting after it and not wow. finishing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's really cool. That's This is so fascinating. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you, it's, it's really interesting that you did it just via like loading JSON files for those user states. Cause we, I mean, we do that same technique in my like beginner electron course. You can learn that in like 10 minutes, just writing a <laughs> file and loading the file on, on start. That's just so, it's so great. Right. Again, I think it gets back to like under the hood. It's really the same approach as making anything else on the web. Uh, wow. It's just some of the visual stuff that makes it feel like a game. Some of the things that impressed me the most when I was looking into this were like the level editor. Um, and it, from what I read, you said that all of the levels were created with the level editor itself. Is that true or am I making that up? Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, so I think I mentioned before, we have a different repository that is just the map editor. And so things like constructing, what does this person say when I talk to them? What if I've already completed this task and then I talk to them? What do they say after that? All of that's done in this kind of nice visual editor. For one, to keep it nice and maintainable because it's, the game is just like working off a bunch of JSON under the hood. That editor is a glorified JSON creator where sure. it's just making this really complicated object of like what should happen when. I'm doing something very similar right now, even just in an interface where it's a, it's just a series of forms that are crafting for the new like courses platform that we're going to be doing. It's like courses, right? It's just a, a series. You learn this one, then you learn this one, and you learn this one. We have a nice little like Mario overworld style map connecting everything. So I just drew an SVG path through the center of each one. But the whole thing at the end of the day is just saving everything to a basic JSON, right? You can load that up and create essentially a visual path. And this, uh, if you, if you, anyone listening hasn't seen this or anything like that, besides just checking out the game, we'll post a link to this blog post in the show notes. But uh, Drew has a, a blog post here about his editor, and it's so cool. You have to get a visual aspect on this. You have to get your eyes on this thing because uh, it's all React. And even though it is a glorified JSON editor, it's amazing. Uh, and this just sort of like blows my mind of the stuff that uh, people are, are able to create with this, this web tech. I'm, I'm like so inspired by looking at all of this stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, like from the beginning, we knew that we wanted to make a really long. Well, it, it didn't turn out that long. It, it, it takes about s average person completes it in like six hours. Uh, but originally it that's was like an eight late. hour game. <laughs> and I'm not going to write all that JSON by hand, right? That'd be very yeah. error prone and um, not very creative, kind of slow and sluggish. And so we we're like, from day one, we, we need some maintainable way to add content to this. And it's also kind of cool because someone that's not technical could get in and make their own levels and add their own content. So mm -hmm. if we wanted to do the um, user generated content kind of thing, we could. We didn't end up going that way, but it's nice to be set up to, to do that in the future if we wanted not only that, but you now have a, like a working editor in case you want to even change the art style, change the theme, change the game or whatever. You have this editor that you could probably use and retrofit into any other type of game that uses a similar sort of like tile uh, tiling set or, or use case. I think it's just super duper cool. Uh, another thing that's super duper cool, this is a weak transition, is getting paid. We all like to get paid. Uh, I'm sure Drew would love to get paid for making his game, so go buy his game. But uh, in addition to that, uh, you want to get paid. So you want to make sure that your invoices and everything are sent, viewed and everything correctly. And for that, you're going to want to check out fresh books. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this ad read and just Scott and I, right before this podcast, we use fresh books to figure out, um, we we're like, Hey, did one of our sponsors pay us yet? And I said, I don't know. Well, let's go into fresh books. And just that ability of like, I don't have to track down like 80 emails and piece them together and figure out if they sent a check and go into my bank account. It's like, no, you just go on FreshBooks and you take a look at your invoices and you can see if they paid it. 
or if they didn't pay it. And it's, it's that simple. I love FreshBooks. Obviously, they do a lot more uh, cloud accounting stuff than that, but uh, that's the one I'm highlighting today. If you want to uh, sign up for FreshBooks, please go to freshbooks.com forward slash syntax. Use syntax in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's going to get you a 30-day unrestricted free trial well on your way to billing and tracking everything that's going on with your business. Um, thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring. Cool. So I think the the last major aspect we want to talk about is, and we've talked a little bit about this before already by bringing in the fact that it was um, shipped to Electron, so to say, but I'm interested in the process of publishing this game, getting it wrapped up, getting it ready to go for Steam. And like also, how do you handle updates through Steam? Those kind of things are, are yeah. seem like giant mysteries to me. Yeah, totally. And they were definitely mysteries. We've learned a lot uh, in the past few months of, of going through this <laughs> sort of painful process of doing it. But yeah, yeah. So uh, first of all, we knew that um, like we had a lot of fun releasing these demos to CodePen and and our own website and stuff as a web thing. Uh, but kind of earlier this year, we made the conscious decision that we want people to play this. And so we need to go where the gamers are. And and while the CodePen community is awesome and very supportive and cool, they're, they're like that. While they appreciate the game, they're very much makers themselves and not necessarily mm-hmm. the people that would spend eight hours playing a game. Uh, and so, yeah, so we made the decision to go to Steam. And so, which led us down the path, like we need some way to to wrap this so that you can open it as an app on your computer and have like this this tangible thing that you can buy and download. And yeah, so so that is what led us to Electron. Electron, if you haven't used it before, um, there's a pretty straightforward process where uh, under the hood, kind of the root of your project is an HTML file. And that HTML file will execute whatever... Uh, code just just like Chrome would, and then it opens that web page and your nice little like private instance of Chromium, where you've got the same dev tools available to you, and it, you just feel right at home. When you're all done making your edits, you basically run a build command. Uh, for us, it's npm run Electron Builder, and then um, that will create <laughs> the the final like dot app on my Mac mm-hmm. machine. Electron exports to Mac, Windows, and Linux. And so even though I'm a Mac user, I can still create Windows versions and Linux versions directly from my Mac. And so uh, we just run the command to build all three of those. And then uh, you go through a little bit of initial setup process to create a developer account with Steam. You do some back and forth on taxes and business stuff and and sign some like NDAs with them around money and all that. But but <laughs> at the end of the day, once everything is cool, they give you access to this uploader program where then we can go in and upload our... Um, our three versions uh, uh right now we're only on mac and windows we do have a linux version that's out we've just had a hard time testing it so so it's not up there on steam just yet yeah so you upload your versions of your game and then they give you a little editor for your store page which is that page that you see the trailer and the reviews and you can update the copy of your game and all of that and then you go some some like final final approval kind of process with them where they download your game and make sure it is the game that you say that you're that it is and then eventually, yeah, you you hit you literally hit a button on launch day. It says launch on Steam, uh, and then it's live for people to to download and and buy and get in their Steam libraries. When it, as far as updating, if you make a change to the game, which we've made a bunch of them after our release date, you go through the same process of uploading the new versions, and then Steam is smart enough to uh, trigger like, hey, Danger Crew has an update waiting. So the next time a user opens the game on Steam, it'll just automatically download the new version. We don't have to do any extra code for updating or anything like that. It just works out of the box once you give them a new version, which has been really cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, that makes it nice and easy. Okay, I was thinking it was going to be way more complex and obtuse than that, but that sounds all Mm -hmm. really, uh, really not too bad. Is it allowed to... Like I know when iPhone like uh, React and, and JavaScript for iPhone apps became popular, a lot of people were just manually refreshing the app themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Apple laid the ban hammer on that. Be like, you know, you have to go through our update process. You can't just like they were just loading a web. Yeah, you, you could just go and fetch a new JavaScript bundle and refresh the page. Is that allowed? Steam would probably have. Well, it's funny because they don't they don't really do a lot of checking when you release an update. So theoretically, I could like go update um the game to have all kinds of bad stuff. And I'm not going to do this, but say, sure. say yeah, someone yeah, yeah. did, <laughs> you could do that. And then I don't think they'd know until someone complained about it. Whereas I think I'm not super familiar with like the iOS world, but I, I think someone like manually checked your update. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the sneaky way of, uh, you know, loading like dynamically pulled code into the final app. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, as far as like, is that allowed on Steam or not? I'm not really sure um, because I think there are a f- quite a few. I, well, I don't know how many, but we're not the only Electron app on Steam. Like people have been doing this. And so I'm not sure how different the like gaming landscape is on how many games out there are like pulling in this code. I know a lot of them are pulling in dynamic content like it's Halloween. So the Halloween level is out today and i'm pretty sure they can do that you know through just api calls and such without having to redo whole builds yeah so that's an interesting question i'm not really sure wow so i had a one more question about some of the game logic stuff so you know this is like a traditional sort of um rpg style where you have you know um an action and that's taking place and, and they're sure like surely some sort of percentages and stuff to figure out uh, what the result of that is. So even with buffs and debuffs and all that stuff, was that aspect of it hard for you to tweak, get right? Uh, did you have any experience there before you went in this or was this all a learning experience? Yeah. So I, I wrote that part of the game seven times. The, the, <laughs> the seventh iteration is the one that was final. Um, and you can see a lot of early versions on CodePen. Like um, my friend David made this really cool artwork of uh, Voldemort versus Harry Potter. So we mm-hmm. had this like prototype of Harry Potter versus Voldemort. And that was like my first experiment with having basically like react state. Like I'm this character, I have HP of hundred and I'm this character, I have HP of 80. Uh, and if I use this move, it's going to subtract your HP by minus 10. And then we have all kinds of different moves that affect the state in different ways. So it started as like a nice simple prototype like that. Uh, and then we got a little bit more fancier with uh, s- things like statuses. Like if I'm using the deadline status, then I get an extra turn this round. Um, or if I'm, we've got like all kinds of programmery stuff in it. So someone gets furious. And so then they're like um, a troll. And then they're, they're like, their attack does more, but then they're, they take more damage in and like sure. um, focus. You put on headphones and then that makes your, your attacks like way more accurate. Um, all, all the developery stuff. I, I had a question about that, too. I just said, like, you know, the dev themes in this game are are so prominent. Like, that must have been super fun to do. Like, that must have been a really great aspect of it for you, right? Yeah, it's just kind of piping, like, stuff that I've seen as a developer um, into the game. Like, there's a part of the story where you um, attend meetings in an office and you, like, go through an interview <laughs> process and you, you go to a conference at one point. It's just... Um, all kinds of stuff that was just this fueled by just kind of funny, silly things, trying to poke fun and, and make people smile. Like that's the real point of it is to, it's a little far, it's super far fetched. There's some really goofy <laughs> stuff in there, uh, but it's, yeah, it's all about like as a developer, hot, there's a lot of humor in here. And um, hopefully, you know, if you check it out and you resonate with some of the stuff, it'll like put a smile on your face. It definitely did for me. I think that those are like some of the fun things and especially it almost feels like being a part of this community, like almost inside jokey kind of stuff where, you know, it's the stuff you get from just being a developer and it just, I don't know, I just really loved it. So, you know, thank you for those aspects. Yeah, cool. I'm glad that that stuff's coming through because I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to like this. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's, I love that. The, just the developer, you see that even on Instagram, like just the, uh, I don't know what you call that, but just the idea of being a developer and and just celebrating the things that are developer-y, like talking about array methods or having stickers, like those are, that's such a fun thing to to, to do it and, and put it into a game. Yeah, it was fun to work on and there's no shortage of, there's no shortage of that kind of content. And so already we're kind of starting to work on the next one and, uh, nice. you know. Can you put in a Scott Talinsky character? I can, <laughs> yes. I put both of you guys and your podcast in the game. Yeah, syntax quest. <laughs> oh, we, and then like me and Scott like battle it out by like the cheesiest uh, transition can... into a sponsor or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that good. would be great. That was. Oh, it's good. funny. It's kind of worth mentioning. Like, if, if you guys have been to like a conference or a meetup before, where someone's in the audience and they have to like raise their hand and interrupt the speaker and tell the room how smart they are. It's like, dude, <laughs> yeah, sit about down. That. But it was kind of like, did, what if those two of those people got so like into such a heated argument over code that they like busted out their laptops and started just going <laughs> at it with each other? That was the real inspiration. <laughs> That's awesome. We yeah, we we were just joking about that the other day. That is so funny. Cool. I don't have any more questions. This was awesome. Uh, I highly recommend everybody check this out because it's not only from a technical perspective, it's it's super duper impressive. And if you think about it being React the entire time, it's going to blow your mind. But just from a, a fun standpoint, if you like playing games, you're going to want to check this out. This is my kind of game 
Uh, I play a lot of stuff like this anyways. I was always a Final Fantasy fan and stuff growing up. So just anything like that classic RPG is my my jam. But yeah, so check it out. Again, we'll, we'll have the links available in the episode description. What's do you have it available? Store.steampowered.com forward slash app forward slash 106 4690. No, I was talking about. Yeah, you can also just go to the danger crew.com. The danger crew.com. That was the URL I was referring to, Wes. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Drew, do you know about the concept of sick picks? Yeah, of course. Yes. So we do we do sick picks on this show. For those of you who don't know, where we pick things that we find to be sick it can be pretty much anything whatsoever. And uh, since I don't have mine ready just yet, Drew or Wes, would you like to start with your sick pick? Yes, I can. I can go first. Uh, so my, yeah, go for it. First of all, thank you let, for letting me pick a sick pick. This is a this is this weird <laughs> honor. Um, Part of being the show. Yeah. yeah. So mine is actually an Instagram account. This is actually already a pretty popular thing. So it's likely that people have heard of it before. But I find it hilarious. It brightens my day every single day. It's called uh, Nathan W. Pyle Strange Planet. You can just Google Strange Planet Instagram. This cartoonist makes these hilarious little comics about aliens that are like observing humans and acting like humans and it's hard to describe the humor it's hard for me to articulate it but you just got to check it out and follow them on instagram if you're an instagram user and i promise they will make you smile every single day i think he releases a new comic every day so definitely check that out I've seen his comments or his comics before, but I have not subscribed to him on Instagram. So I'm doing I've seen that them on right Reddit. I yeah, didn't that's realize I've seen it. Him. I'm following now. That's yeah. great. Oh, that's good. My sick pick is going to be a tweet thread. So a couple. <laughs> a tweet thread. A tweet th- and uh, it's a 40 part tweet thread where I go off and rant about oh. something you're going to like. Dang. No, it's uh, I don't know, but a month or two ago, I sick picked the uh, Logitech Master MX2 or MX2S Master, or something like that. It's a, a new mouse that I got, and um, I've been loving it. And I've I've spent some time, after like 10 years with the Magic Mouse, I spent some time sort of configuring it. And uh, just like, I don't know, a month or two later, I finally was like, all right, I'm happy with my config. I'm happy with all, there's like 40 buttons on it, what each of the buttons do. And then I tweeted it out because a bunch of people were asking, like, what config do you use? And then the replies to this tweet thread just totally blew me out of the water with much better uh, configs to do because there's like buttons that you can have gesture. So if you're pushing the button, you put you move your move up, then it can like raise the volume or switch an app or you can do specific settings in a specific app for that mouse. It's unreal at what you can do with it. And the the replies to this thread, it's not my tweet. It's the replies that are actually the, the interesting part. So I'll link up the thread. Just go and read through all of the um, the different replies and see what people are doing with their MX2 master mouse and how they are configuring it. It's pretty cool. Cool. My sick pick is going to be an application that was a sick pick a long time ago, maybe like one of the first or second or third episodes of Syntax. I'm sick picking Figma again because I absolutely love and use Figma. And the reason why I'm sick picking is because they recently, within like the past two months or so, have released plugins for Figma. Which was Ooh. like always sort of the thing that was like, oh, well, Sketch has plugins. Well, okay, it doesn't work on most computers, it only works on Macs. So Figma is a uh, sort of relevant for this episode because it works in your browser, just like uh, it's built with web tech. And it now has plugins, so you can add plugins. Not only can you build plugins yourself, but it's just so super cool uh, that plugins have just sort of come about in the past couple of months here, and there's already just about a billion of them. So I'm really excited diving in. I was thinking about doing a little video series about maybe exploring some of these plugins. So I might I might do that. If you're interested in that, let us know. But yeah, uh, Figma, figma.com is my favorite tool. I absolutely love them. If you watch the tutorial videos, you might hear my voice a little bit because I, I liked it so much. I did some of their tutorials for them. So, but yeah, that's my sick pick. I don't have anything else. Uh, shameless plugs. Drew, would you, do you have anything that you'd like to shamelessly plug? Here? <laughs> I, can, I can take a stab at a shameless plug. I think. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Danger Crew, uh, it's a top down RPG about being a developer at a company. So if you know if you grew up playing like some classic RPGs from the '90s uh, and you like goofy programmer humor, uh, considering check checking it out on Steam. And if you do happen to check it out, please uh, consider leaving us a review if you like it. The review is yes. a small action that really goes a long way. So cool, yeah. Please do that, Wes. Shameless plugs. I'm going to shamelessly plug my Instagram. Whoa! Just for I uh, switch it up a little bit. I was expecting it to be all of my courses. Is all of my God. That's <laughs> I, I shamelessly plug all the same thing every week. So Instagram.com forward slash Wes Boss. 
a equal parts coding, cooking, and kids. Uh, ooh, coding, all all cuh sounds. Coding, cooking, and kids. So if you're interested in any of those things, join me there. It's it's kind of fun to do. It's, Instagram seems to be a lot less uh, loaded lately than Twitter is. So it's kind of a, a fun little retreat. Plus yeah. the food pictures, man. The food pictures are just amazing. Oh, yeah, thank you. Cooking up some nice stuff all the time. Totally jealous and about all your stuff. Jay, what what is the word? TJN. You've been TJ in it. People I'm have totally been starting TJ'ing. to TJ. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were, if someone was at Trader Joe's, I'd be TJ in that they were at TJ's. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to shamelessly plug, uh, what is the day of the release of this course? Let me check it out. September 9, I think. September 4th. So, so yeah, four. get ready to pay the price. We are releasing on August 31st, Advanced Gatsby and Shopify. It's a headless e-commerce course that is the follow-up to e-commerce sh- or Gatsby e-commerce that came out last month. And we build a co- um, like a shopping cart from scratch. We use all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, I know I mentioned before that we were using Apollo. I'm sorry, we're not using Apollo in this one. I, I changed it up a little bit midway through, uh, but we are building our own shopping cart. We're doing all bunch of custom stuff with coupons and interface stuff, and it actually looks nice. Uh, so we're building a whole e-commerce store with Shopify and Gatsby. It's really super cool. Check it out at leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro. Sign up for the year, get 25% off. That's all I got. All right. (laughs) That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much uh, to Drew for coming on and and, uh, talking about this. Is uh, I think I learned so much in this episode. It's, It's so cool. And I was playing the game uh, just trying to be like, ah, like I, I try, I wish that you could inspect element in steam. Cause I think that'd be kind of cool to like see it, but I'm trying to like, guess like, Oh, that's a div. That's canvas. Like there's, there's a web a version too. You can here. play it on the web too. If you want to get in there yeah, the, and, and uh, inspect, inspect and it. judge all of our code. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to judge, but I'm going to inspect the, the life out of it. Cause I really want to make a ogre battle 64, uh, modern version. Uh, Cause this is my favorite game ever. And that needs to exist. <laughs> the demo is at play.thedangercrew.com. You can check out, and I guess there you can inspect Element. I'm going to have the React Dev Tools open uh, a little bit later today. That's pretty fun. Do it, All do right, it. that's it. <laughs> Thanks so much again, uh, and uh, we will catch you on Monday. Peace. Peace. You can say peace, Drew. Oh, peace. Thanks for having me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, that's it. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.